You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Tuesday, the 20th of December 2022. And as you would be aware that uh, currently we are, as it is, the end of the year, the end of the year of uh, 2022. We're doing the review weeks, the roundups, and uh, what we, you know, all the things that we've been talking about um, during uh, during the year as well. Each day, as you will be aware anyway, but for those listeners who maybe, who maybe are new to the Dry Time Show, we are doing. Uh, I mean, each day we are dedicating a a a a a, a month to uh, to whatever we spoke about as well. So we've done. We've covered uh, January, February, March, and today we're going to going to be speaking about uh, what we spoke about in April. So in April, Muslims around the world were observing fast in the holy month of uh, of Ramadan. Um, so therefore, we 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 will present it, uh, with our listeners some different aspects of the of the of the holy month of the uh, of the month of Ramadan throughout the whole month of April. We spoke on Ramadan being the the month of um, lifelong changes of forgiveness and how we as Muslims can give back to society not only during this month but also throughout the year as well. Uh, and we spoke about the importance of the recitation of the Holy Quran during the month of Ramadan as well, how much uh, it's uh, it's linked towards that one as well. And we explored how we as Muslims can follow the footsteps of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, the Chosen One, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and take guidance through his sunnah, through his way, through his traditions, through his customs during the holy month of Ramadan as well. And apart from that, we also highlighted um, different skills and brought um, some some interesting Ramadan recipes for you know for, for for you guys to for you guys to try out as well. Towards the end of the month of Ramadan, um, or we we spoke about the significance of Eid al-Fitr, and as our listeners would know that there are two Eids in uh, in the Islamic calendar. One comes right after, so literally a day after the month of Ramadan where during the month of Ramadan we are told to fast uh, from uh, sun uh, from su- uh, for, from dawn to uh, to sunset but during Eid we un- we do not fast we eat and this was the practice of the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and the other Eid comes uh, you know about uh, about 2 months 10 days after when where is the is the is the uh, the pilgrimage of Hajj and during that the sacrifice day uh, the tenth Dhul Hijjah, that is the day for for uh, for Eid as well. Um, but uh, specifically talking about this, um, we we spoke about this. We spoke about different aspects 
in uh, in regards to in regards to this as well and uh, of course you know as i mentioned we we spoke about different things when it comes to um when it comes to the the month of ramadan uh, various different aspects that we that we covered uh, as well um let's listen to because of obviously we we were going we're going back we're, we're listening back to what we actually spoke about what we what we actually did so let's listen back to uh, one of the audio clips uh, which uh, which is about this we are joined by our first guest of the day uh, and it's uh, Celine Morin who is a uh, dietitian award winning international speaker and author uh, has developed various well-being programs such as performance chemistry well calculator uh, fit to lead and santi helping other business leaders and their teams sustain high performance through workplace well-being projects uh, peace and blessings be upon you good afternoon celine thank you for joining us on the drive time show thank you it's my absolute pleasure so we're talking about uh, ramadan and the beginning of ramadan so you know in terms of your body right yeah how important is your state of mind to maintain and help shape a healthy body you know uh, yes. obviously they they should go hand in hand they should and there's a lot of competition sometimes between them you know mm-hmm. we know it's good for the body but the mind can sometimes sabotage us so mm-hmm. it's very important for them to be aligned and i would say not just the mind but also the heart the mm-hmm. head heart and body so not you know, our mindset is important, what we think, also our emotions and how we feel, and then that can help us to do the best things for our body. Mm. Can I ask you a type-specific question regarding that, Celine? right? Now, I was out, you know, uh, playing golf on the first day of fasting, and, you know, to play golf or to do any sport, right, you're, you think that your body can do a certain thing, and it's accustomed mm-hmm. to doing that thing. But then your body starts to do something else and for in my instance the ball started going elsewhere and although in my mind i hadn't pictured that shot or gone through those mechanics i was still in my mind doing the same thing as i'd done uh in the first nine holes and then it just all went i suppose you know kind of like terminology pear-shaped for the for the last nine holes so in terms of you know, uh, what you've just said, uh, you know, the state of mind and your body, because my mind was telling me, actually, no, this is how you've got to play the shot. But my body wasn't able to do that. And I think that's important is during this time is to also be sensitive to maybe not expecting exactly the same output from your body as before, because mm-hmm. it is a time of reflection. And, and you know, some may find it easier than others to fast, but we know that depending on your stress levels, for instance, uh, the quality of your sleep, um, where you are in terms of your health status, it's going to be not always as easy. Mm-hmm. And maybe be a little bit of, compa- you know, be more kind and compassionate to yourself during this mm. time, even if you are, especially if you're playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> you are. No, you find golfers are quite, uh, we're quite, what's the word? remorseless uh, uh, yeah. when we come to our own performance. So in terms of that, when we talk about performance here, what are some of the ways in which you can motivate yourself to eat healthy on days when you actually have you know, that low energy? Because you want to reach out for that type of comfort food, but unfortunately, the comfort food isn't really very healthy for you. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that when we are potentially stressed and also if we are fasting, that the body can... All the mind can make us want to crave, you know, high fat or high sugar foods. Mm-hmm. And when you have them in that moment, you may feel great. But we know that because of the impact 
on our blood sugar can make us feel worse afterwards. So I would say what can help is don't rely on motivation because motivation goes up and down. You Mm -hmm. know, at the start of the day, you might feel great. By the end of the day, you won't. So set yourself up for success by making small changes and get your environment to support you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe put the foods that aren't that healthy for you, not at eye level so that you see them straight away as you open the cupboard or walk into the kitchen. Put the healthier things out or make it easy when you are breaking the fast or having the pre-dawn meal to make Mm -hmm. better choices. Mm-hmm. Mm. Celine, <clears throat> good afternoon. Um, sometimes, I mean, during stressful times or hard times, everyone kind of goes through this these periods. Um, but some people they turn to stress eating or overeating to relieve their stress for the time being to achieve some sort of comfort and relief. Um, does this type of eating eventually lead to more negative effects rather than positive effects in the body? Yes, it can. And I think it's so important. And if this was easy, we would all get this right. And we'd all be really healthy, really happy. But it isn't always easy. Yeah. So especially when we have a lot of stress, as we all have, you know, there's so much uncertainty and just the fast pace of life is stressful. And when the body goes under stress, it releases hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. And over time, those can impact the way that we breathe, the way that blood flows around the digestive system. It can make us crave foods because the body thinks that it's in a state of panic. And you might have heard of that fight or flight response. Mm. Mm. And so understanding that when we're stressed, it's definitely going to affect our body, our physiology. And then before we eat or snack is to just take a breath and ask yourself, am I really hungry or am I maybe responding to an emotion like anger or frustration or boredom? And so... That's where it starts, is that moment, that those few seconds before you put food in your mouth or just reach for something, to take a breath and ask, am I eating because I'm really hungry or am I eating for another reason? Hmm. And sometimes just the question itself can make you think, okay, well, no, I'm not that hungry. I, I could maybe wait yeah. or make a different choice. Hmm. Very good. I, I think that's a very good tip and something which uh, my wife's been pushing me to do as well. Whenever I'm overindulging on something, is do you really need it? Do you really need to have the extra bite? Um, another question which we have is, what are some of the best ways or effective ways uh, to heal your gut? Is it possible to repair the damage you might have done to your gut by, by, by your eating habits? Yes, yes. The, the good news, and I'm smiling as I say that, is the body has a remarkable inner intelligence and can heal. And the gut especially, it's an incredibly intelligent organ that's very sensitive to nutrients from food and supplements. So um, I'd say the most important thing is eat like an artist. So think about eating colorful foods. And by colorful foods, I don't mean, you know, um, M&Ms or wine gums or chocolate. (laughs) But But they are colorful though, aren't they? They are colorful. (laughs) Here we're talking about nature's natural foods. So Mm -hmm. all your vegetables, all your salads, all your fruits, those are also high in fiber, high in water, so they generally are low in calories. So I would say that's the best thing, is to feed the gut those foods and to have as much of a variety as possible. So over a week, make sure that you are eating a range of red, orange, yellow, green, mm-hmm. indigo foods that come from there. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest uh, to our listeners today who are actually entering the month of Ramadan and fasting in order to maintain, you know, not just a healthy mind and body, uh, 
yeah, what what would you uh, well, what would you recommend them do if, say, for instance, we get hit with a bout of hot weather? Well, with fasting, um, a risk is dehydrating, and mm-hmm. then of course it makes you feel fatigued and tired. And you want to also enjoy the process, you know, mm-hmm. because it's something so incredibly sacred and joyful to do. So I would say, listen to your body. Don't underestimate the power of breathing deeply and properly. Most of us, because we are stressed, we take very shallow breaths. And oxygen is more important than water and even food itself. Mm -hmm. The body needs that. So breathing deeply and properly. And when you do have, especially sweetened drinks, it's easy to then have too much sugar. Mm. So maybe be conscious of having that. And try as much as possible to rest and sleep during this time. And to allow yourself, like with the golf example, to be more compassionate and go a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. So especially when, when, when it is quite hot and you could be more dehydrated and tired. And when you start eating or break the fast, is to do it mindfully. It can be easy to overindulge because you've been through the fast or you might be feeling a bit tired. Mm. But to once again breathe and take your time and be as mindful and slow as possible. So, I mean, you know, in a lot of Asian and maybe, you know, I'm going to get flooded by phone calls, uh, you know, to, to, to the contrary. But a lot of Asian communities, when they break the fast, uh, would resort or normally go traditionally to fried foods. Mm. Say, for instance, mm. samosa um, is, is, a, is a good favorite, is a family favorite. Uh, a potato chop. Uh, Spring rolls. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're, 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 we're naming them. Is this the best type of thing to open with? It's not, because what will happen is that your body will um, crave more of it. The best thing would be to reach for maybe um, a vegetable-based meal or a salad or a soup mm-hmm. and, and allow yourself to have those other treats. You know, don't say I'm not going to have them. Just say I'm going to start with something colorful mm-hmm. and that's high in fiber, and then I'm going to move on to that. And you'll probably then have less because mm-hmm. the fiber will also fill you up. Mm. Yeah. Is, you're starting to feel uh, well, no, no, no. I regret I, last night's dinner, <laughs> huh? <laughs> that was my... Uh, well, everyone's allowed a cheat day, right? On the first uh, day. Thing. Yeah, cheat day. Uh, I like yeah. to get it out and out of the way with, right? And then I can get on to the proper work. Um, but, Celine, I was just asking, um, because there's, there's a lot of, I suppose, uh, uh, myths as well about certain things that will help you. I mean, there's something that I've been trying, uh, and I know a lot of people have coconut water because they find that very rehydrate or, you know, very hydrating. Um, I personally have been, and my wife, uh, we've been actually with the green cardamoms, boiling the seeds from inside the green cardamom and drinking the water uh, at uh, just before, you know, uh, when we're allowed to, uh, before closing. Um, uh, for your fast and uh, I think I, I actually did a one year where I, I I didn't use the you know this water this this lachi water this green cardamom water and I did feel myself thirstier I don't know whether it was more psychosomatic but uh, after that every year we've been doing you know we've been having this lachi water would there be any do you do you know of any um, truth to that matter um, I'm not sure about that, but I do know that with many of the other drinks like coconut water, that they, 
they're not always as healthy as they seem. And oh, okay. reading, reading mm-hmm. the fine print is important. Mm-hmm. So looking at the list of ingredients, and if sugar or fructose or like a flavorant pops up, it's, it's like the second ingredient, to then check how many grams of carbohydrate you're getting in a, in a serving. Because five grams of carbohydrate is, one, is the equivalent to one teaspoon of sugar. Wow. And many, many drinks can provide in excess of 15 to 20 grams, which is three to four teaspoons of sugar. And in one drink, that's a lot, because the maximum we want for a day is six teaspoons of sugar or 30 grams of carbohydrate. Yeah, so that was uh, that was Celine Maureen who spoke a little bit more about uh, about uh, about the food aspect uh, as well what we what we consume and what what is sort of good for us to consume when we open our fast and what is uh, not so good as well maybe as well. Um, just speaking a little bit more about the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan is the is the ninth month in the in the Islamic calendar, and if if you would know anyway, but the Islamic calendar is based not on the solar but the lunar but the lunar calendar as well. Uh, so it's uh, according to so it's according to the the moon. Um, from the time of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, over fourteen hundred years ago, Muslims have religiously because it's part of the it's part of the Islamic faith. It's actually one of the five pillars of Islam as well, so they have been fasting um, since then. So fasting means, as I mentioned before, we listened to, before we listened to Celine, that it is, uh, we stay away from, or we don't eat or drink anything, even water, even water, um, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from dawn until sunset. And this is because we, we want to please Allah the Almighty, we want to please God Almighty. The month of Ramadan is is the is the month of uh, as I mentioned. So all of this is obligatory fasting. Now you can fast, or Muslims are allowed to fast um, any time of the year. But it is uh, you know you can fast during the whole year. But this is one month which is dedicated um, that we have to f- fast during the month of Ramadan. And as I mentioned. That fasting is uh, is allowed in other months also, but those ones are voluntary fasts. This uh, this fast will be you know is, is actually compulsory. So God Almighty has bestowed mankind with countless main, countless means to to attain his nearness, his nearness, and this is one of those means as well. Allah the Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran in chapter two, verse one hundred and eighty-four, "O ye who believe." Fasting is prescribed for you, as it was prescribed for those before you, that you may become righteous. And this is the main thing. This is the main thing. As I mentioned, that we fast to, uh, so that we are, or so that we can become, uh, so that we can please our Lord. We do it so that our Lord, Allah the Almighty, God Almighty, becomes pleased with us. So He becomes happy with us, and we can only do that. When we become righteous, when we become righteous, when our deeds are righteous, when all of the things that we do are, are for the sake of God, for the pleasure of God, then of course, our fasting, our our eating, even our eating, our you know our standing up, our talking, our sitting down, all of our different actions would be uh, would please God Almighty as well. And this is the thing that we that we want to actually achieve. And this is actually the main thing. Now, uh, we we also spoke to Atal Stefan 
uh, as well. Let's listen to let's listen to him uh, as well. Our uh, brother missionary Ataul uh, Stephen Gab, who mm-hmm. is a missionary who converted to Islam Ahmadiyat about seven years ago, and then he devoted his life and went to Jamiatul Bashirin in in Ghana, mm-hmm. the Institute for uh, for Imam Study. And he has now been serving in Belize for about two, three years, I believe. Uh, Atal Stephen, uh, good afternoon. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam. Wa alaikum salam. Wa alaikum salam. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you How doing? How are you all doing? I'm, I'm doing fine, alhamdulillah. How are you all? Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. We're great. We're great. Ramadan Mubarak. Hope you're um, enjoying Ramadan and um, uh, are healthy and, and, and good. Um, so... Um, you converted to the uh, the, the, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community seven years ago, um, and uh, then you decided to devote your life. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you that standard question that you know tell us all about it. But mm-hmm. um, I think I think if you can tell us um, just one thing, um, I guess from from your uh, turning point in life. Really, in in terms of because not only did you convert to the community, accepted Islam, Ahmadiyya, but you also devoted your life. So that's that's a big uh, big change, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, just to let you guys know that when I converted to Islam, I, I did not know that you know you you prayed Fajr on Saturdays and Sundays. I thought it was like a work. So <laughs> 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 I had to learn that you know like every day is, is to get up and and pray to God Almighty, but. It, it's um, the turning point in my life was the fact that you know I I was an entertainer in my country I I, I did poetry I did songs and stuff mm-hmm. and um, I I got into a kind of like a dark place and um, my friend uh, Musa he 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 converted to Islam and he was a Muslim from he was younger but um, he he brought me to the mosque and I was uh, basically agnostic I did not really believe in. God, or if there is a God, if there's, if there's a God, if there's no, no God, then that, that, that's fine. But mm-hmm. um, what really changed my perspective on Islam was the fact that it talks about evolution, it talks about the Big Bang, it talks about the shape of the earth in a mm-hmm. time when people thought it was the earth was flat and, and there's no thought of any type of evolution. And this was a man in the middle of the, the desert not even being able to uh, write his own name. You know, he was not able to read. How is this person even able to fathom these um, type of um, scientific discoveries that have just been recently discovered? You know, and um, also the life of Muhammad, that really uh, changed my perspective on uh, who the Prophet Muhammad was. You know, in that time, Islam had a very um, bad name in the media mm-hmm. and Islam Ahmadiyya was not uh, had not penetrated in Belize as much so uh, Alhamdulillah um, you know God led me to the community and uh, I've never looked back since Brilliant um, you know we, we're in the month of Ramadan which is obviously a month full of blessings for us um, a month that anybody can make you know lifelong changes in life Um mm-hmm. What would you advise, uh, you know, our listeners to to kind of you know focus on and how to take advantage of this month? Well, you know, the Quran says, mm-hmm. You know, fasting is better for you if you only knew. You know, so the Quran 
um, as you were saying before, you know, um, fasting is not only in um, Islam. It is a tried and tested prescription for becoming righteous. Allah has said it, that, you know, like fasting is better for you if you only knew. So it's not just about keeping hungry or, mm-hmm. you know, just not drinking. Mm-hmm. It's about ensuring your purification of your soul and illuminating your heart. You know, mm-hmm. um, the second Khalifa has said that, you know, if if you continue in um, speaking badly or, or creating rumors or gossiping, then there's no need for you to fast. Mm-hmm. What, what's the point of fasting? You know, anyone can um, starve themselves. Mm-hmm. But re- refraining from eating and drinking or even, you know, the intercourse with your, your, your wife, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It, it makes you um, open your mind and your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, the promised Messiah, Salam, has said that, you know, it increases vision. And it is said that um, fasting is the, the food for the soul. Just mm-hmm. like food is for the body, fasting is a food for the soul. But it is your intention, the intention of being closer to God Almighty. Restricting yourselves from the rights that God has given has given you. He has created food. He has created water. He has He has created your partner, and these are rights that He has given you. And removing yourselves from these rights and just focusing on God Almighty, that will help you to gain a, a better relationship with God Almighty. But it is only your intention. If your intention is just to um, starve or thirst yourself, then mm-hmm. it's useless. Absolutely. I mean, uh, couldn't agree more there. Um, in terms of you know Belize, I mean, what would you what could you tell us uh, you know about the the timing? Because I, I was I'll just checking the timing. There's probably past ten there. Um, uh, you know how how many hours are you guys fasting? And uh, I mean, uh, is 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 it a Christian majority country or uh, what do people have to say about Islam? Uh, Islam Ahmadiyat specifically, what your experience has been? Well, um, you know, we are fasting, I believe, for. 14 hours in Belize, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's not as long as certain places in the uh, in in the in the world. Sorry, mm-hmm. and um, you know since the coming of Islam Ahmadiyat, Islam has been getting a, gaining a lot of um, popularity mm-hmm. within the country. In all honesty, uh, because of the Ahmadiyya basketball league, and mm-hmm. um, you know, right, uh, this this month we're 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 increasing in our charity. We we want to give out like 500 pantry bags to to people across the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it gains a lot of traction, and people are ask are actually asking a lot of questions, and and they're um, mm-hmm. having more uh, interest in Islam. Uh, for example, in the beginning of this um, the Ramadan, two people have asked me to convert to Islam, and I told them that. Uh, uh, to wait until Eid, Eid mm-hmm. you know, just so that we, it can be a day that they can mm-hmm. see everyone and have a day to, to remember that, you know, on this day of Eid, I, I converted to Islam Ahmadiyya. Mm-hmm. And uh, so God has been blessing uh, the Jamaat by increasing our our, our, our um, uh, fellowship, you know, and so it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hearing you guys talking about, you know, like fasting and even playing sports. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that also, you know, um, it, it's true. Like if you do like break your fast and you eat, you don't perform perform as well. I 
mm-hmm. three lot of basketball in, in, in the Belize. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, at this point in time, we do three on three and mm-hmm. it's up to 21 points. Mm-hmm. And I literally, before I broke, broke my fast, I scored 19 of those points. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was God dropping the ball in the, in the basket or what, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just a wonderful thing. You know, everyone mm-hmm. is a very supportive, though it's a Christian majority um, country. Mm-hmm. Some people even say, can I fast with you? Mm. And so it is um, very accepting. That's Brilliant. great to hear. That, that is great to hear as well, yeah. Um, th- you know, Ramadan is obviously, as you mentioned, it's a great uh, month to, to fast. And, and, you know, it's uh, it's it's a great month to, to try to adopt good habits. However, it's not always easy. It, it does come with challenges. I mean, sure. you know, when you're when you're hungry when you're 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 fasting you can easily you know get a little bit annoyed um you know it's it's harder to kind of suppress anger um mm-hmm. things that things where people do without without even you know realizing such as gossiping or thinking ill maybe of somebody these small but bad habits how how do you suppress them how how do we uh try to kind of remove them um in the month of ramadan well, uh, the Holy Prophet said that, you know, fasting does not only mean refraining from eating and drinking, but also to refrain from every kind of useless and indecent thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if a person is abused or is being treated unjustly out of ignorance, that person should say, I'm fasting. Mm-hmm. There are many who fast, but do not get the reward meant for fasting, you know, and they, they merely suffer the pangs of hunger, as I said. And so many who stand up at night even to pray, they don't get the reward except for being awake. So the, the the fact is is that you should remember that you're doing this for God Almighty, and let the person know that I am fasting. The aim for fasting mm-hmm. is that one should enter heaven uh, um, by, by giving up that right that God has giving uh, given us. You know, so the main aim mm-hmm. is that man should be prepared to forego everything for the sake of God. And so even if that means that someone is speaking to you illy, and you just tell them I am fasting and. Re- uh, remove yourself from the pride of trying to mm-hmm. say something back or if someone is gossiping to you you let them know that i'm fasting it doesn't make no sense that i speak to someone mm-hmm. or speak about someone that's not there if it tell them that you know if you have something against someone then let that person know that that you have an issue with them mm-hmm. there's it, no point of you telling me it so we should stand up for um god almighty in this in this month of ramadan and and do what is right and it doesn't mean that only in the month of Ramadan we should do this. Absolutely. You know, the, it, it, it's about doing it all year round. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am very blessed to be a, uh, an Ahmadi Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife was in um, uh, Fiji and mm-hmm. she met some Muslims. And the only time she, she saw them, you know, truly practicing, practicing Islam was in the month of Ramadan. Mm. And this is this is not something that I would like to see for any uh, any Ahmadi. Mm-hmm. We should we should um, uh, read the Quran all year round. We should wake up in the night to uh, praise God Almighty all year round. And so that is what it means to have um, when the Holy Prophet said that your past and your future sins will be mm-hmm. um, cleansed when once you uh, fast with good intention and sincere mm-hmm. intention in the month of Ramadan. <clears throat> means that you will be a changed person mm. throughout your life it doesn't mm. mean that only in the month of ramadan oh yes i i i, I am a, a newborn baby for the month of ramadan mm. so i should 
act badly and 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 increase in my in my yeah. um sins during the <coughs> during the year mm-hmm. absolutely i mean uh, we always discuss um, you know with regards to you know some of the things that we celebrate with it within Islam, whether it's Eid or whether it's um, Ramadan, you know, fasting, zakah, or all of the things that we do—they're not mere festivals, right? There, there's a greater significance behind, you know, each injunction, injunction and commandment. Um, and I think this is the reason why His Holiness—and I was mentioning this earlier—every you know Eid sermon, it, you know, of course he, as he walks in, he he says Eid Mubarak to us, but he then, you know, emphasizes on what what that truly depicts or what that truly means right and yeah. and this is i think this is the uh, the emphasis uh, that islam places and you know i've uh, you know certain in, in, in individuals online i've seen you know they they they're fasting and as you're saying it's merely hunger but at, at night they're out there smoking and uh, you know um, you know so i mean these things i think are, what do you think is it's just ignorance or how is it that you know that people that are fasting you know during, during the day day and at night they just you know it's basically normal routine for them they can just you know just go out what would you say on that i would say that if if that's what you're doing then don't fast it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense mm-hmm. you're, you're just um starving yourself and and it, the promised messiah has even said it for 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 praying to lot mm-hmm. you know if if it's just a routine for you then you're not doing it right Mm-hmm. You're definitely not doing it right, and and every single person that does it like that, um, the fasting is is wrong. Mm-hmm. It is about increasing your tolerance. Mm-hmm. It is it is uh, it's about arousing your sentiments for the poor and the needy. Mm-hmm. So not only fast, but that that is why we 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 also in Belize we we increase in our charity. Mm-hmm. We do our best to to go out and 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 speak. To, to people about Islam Ahmadiyya and teach them about Ramadan and and mm-hmm. and uh, help the poor. Mm-hmm. You know, the the um, we we have the right of God and we have the right of His creation. Absolutely. And so, if we just focus on the right of God and not focus on the right of the people, mm-hmm. then we are not being grateful to God Almighty. Because mm-hmm. the Holy Prophet said, if you're not grateful to His creation, you cannot be grateful to God Almighty. So. We should not only stay in our homes and mm-hmm. read the Quran and fast, but we should go out and and mm-hmm. we are the faces of Islam. Mm-hmm. We are the we are the example that people will look at when it comes to thinking of Islam. Mm-hmm. So we should do our best to increase in our our charity, like the Holy Prophet Sallallahu did. Mm-hmm. You know, throughout the year he was very charitable, but during the the, the month of Ramadan. The, the, he literally did way more than he than than mm-hmm. he uh, did during the year. So we should also do that. And it's, it, it is wrong for anyone to think that when the sun goes down, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is not recording what you do. Mm-hmm. You know. So so we should truly be sincere in our fasting. If uh, not, then just don't fast at all. Mm, absolutely. Atal Stephen, uh, missionary brother of uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, joining us from Belize. Thank you very much for your time. Jazakallah. It was an absolute uh, pleasure to connect with you. Um, and uh, please remember us uh, in the remaining month, uh, days of Ramadan. Thank you for having me, and I hope you all enjoy your Ramadan as well. Ramadan in uh, London. Ameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. 
That was uh, Ataul Stephen uh, from Belize as well. Uh, very interesting listening to him and his thoughts as well. Um, so that was uh, one of the main things that we spoke about during the month of uh, of April, which was about the holy month of Ramadan. Uh, what else did we What else did we speak about? Well, we spoke uh, about uh, human instinct, cruel or kind. That was a question that we asked. Now the Holy Quran reminds us that man has uh, you know has struggle between the extremes of kindness and cruelty Allah the Almighty mentions and remember the time when we took a covenant from the children of Israel you shall worship nothing but Allah and show kindness to parents and to kindred and orphans and the poor and speak to men kindly and observe prayer and pay the zakat then you turned away in uh, aversion, except a few, with, a few of you. This is from chapter 2, verse 84. The very next verse, verse 85. And remember the time when we took a covenant from you. You shall not shed your blood or turn your people out of your homes. Then you confirmed it and you have been witness to it. Then the next verse goes on to say that Yet you are the people who slay your own brethren and turn out a section of your own people from their homes, backing up one another against them with sin and transgression. And if they come to you as captives, you ransom them while their very expulsion was unlawful for you. Do you then believe in part of the book and disbelieve in part? So, Divine laws in the shape of the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments were, des- were designed to sort of um, curtain or sort of uh, actually tell the people, tell the people of the, the house of Israel, the children of Israel, that these, you know, that are violent, being uh, cruel, and uh, all of these, you know, and encourage instead of, uh, encourage a set of uh, sympathy, tenderness, and charity for the Jewish people. It was a sort of uh, taught it, telling telling them to stay away from these things. Do not be violent. Do not be cruel. And uh, instead of uh, instead of you know telling people telling people off, treat them with compassion, with with tenderness as well. So it uh, you know it it, it is uh, it is an important thing for us to actually understand as well. The importance of kindness in these situations was also stressed by the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, and the awaited Mahdi as well. He said in his book, Arba'een, I look upon no one as my as an enemy. I have the same love for all who, for who for all mankind as a mother as a mother has for her own children. I am only an enemy of false beliefs and untruths. Sympathy for all is a moral obligatory and an obligation and a duty. The Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has also said that you will not be a believer until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. 
So kindness has a benevolence within it for everyone. Love and well-wishing is extended beyond to the family with no ulterior motive. Just out of a desire to be helpful, uh, also known as uh, as altruism, and this is something which is uh, which all of us want to you know we want to we want to promote as well. Um, the the holy founder of the, uh, the 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 fifth caliph of the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the current head of the, the current head and the caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Rahman, may Allah be his helper. He has said in the sixth sixth uh, peace symposium as well that that there was an inherent good nature within all human beings, but he also spoke of a selfish trait universal in mankind as well. If someone occur if if something occurs against their personal interest, then to safeguard those those interests, they will stop at nothing, even if they have to infringe the rights and benefits of others. And uh, such as you know, human. This is you know, such as the human psyche. It belongs to no nation, class, or religion. But people exist in the east and in the west, and the north and the south. They exist amongst Muslims and Christians and people of all other religions, and also among people of no faith. He also said that and help one another. I mean, this is a, a quote of the Holy Quran as well. And help one another in righteousness and piety. But help not one another in sin and transgression. And fear Allah. Surely Allah is severe in punishment. So cooperation may have been the foundation of our, uh, of our early history. It can be the way, the way forward to greater success as well. Let's listen to another audio clip of uh, Richard uh, uh, Rongam, Rangam, and, uh, which was uh, you know, quite, uh, quite interesting as well. Um, uh, let's listen to that uh, right now. Our first uh, esteemed guest, Richard Rangham, if I'm pronouncing the name correct, uh, who is a research professor, uh, Department of Biological Anthropology at Harvard University, and the author of The Goodness Paradox. With a short introduction, Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings of God be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Ple- pleasure to have you on. Um, straight to the questions, I mean, in your book, um, the goodness paradox, uh, where you claim, you know, violence has made us more peace-loving, uh, you know, people. You 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 refer to the execution hypothesis. Could you elaborate, uh, you know, on on that a bit more for our listeners, please? Well, yes. Um, yeah, you know, the reason that uh, we now think that violence can ultimately lead to uh, a more peaceful kind of of human and has done so over evolutionary time is that. Uh, we see all sorts of evidence that violent individuals tend to be executed. And, of course, this is familiar enough in, in uh, state societies uh, in the form of uh, capital punishment of uh, violent criminals. But what was so fascinating was to realize that uh, all of the hunter-gatherer societies that we know of around the world uh, show a similar pattern. And, of course, what happens there is that you have no prisons, uh, you have no police, so that if somebody is really violent, there's only one way to handle it, which is uh, that they have to be killed. And the fact that this happens with hunters and gatherers on every continent Mm -hmm. suggests that this is what's happened in our long-term evolution. And so there has been 
a genetic selection against individuals with violent tendencies, leading to increased peacefulness. Mm-hmm. So you're saying this is our natural uh, instinct? Well, yes. Um, you know, uh, we can now compare the uh, rates of aggression of ourselves with some of the primates that we are closely related to from an evolutionary perspective. Mm-hmm. And humans are outstanding. You know, people have, have claimed for uh, millennia, uh, mm-hmm. going back to the ancient Greeks, that humans are behaviorally more like a domesticated animal than they are like a wild animal. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we can actually put numbers on the fact that the frequency with which you see individuals losing their tempers and just getting into fights on trivial matters is enormously lower in ourselves than it is in our related primates. So it's uh, you know, between 500 and 1,000 times less mm-hmm. uh, in humans than it is in the chimpanzees and bonobos that we're closely related to. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's only to do with our evolutionary process or you know, we've learned... You know, we've learned from violence that it doesn't really do anything, right? Is, do you think we've learned over time? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that we are learning all the time. And, and individuals are, are brought up uh, to, uh, to be able to absorb their lessons from, from their childhood. Mm-hmm. And in societies in which uh, there is a real effort to stop kids from, uh, from using aggression to get their way, then certainly that works. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is also uh, an innate component. There is a genetic component as well. And part of the way reason we can say that is because of astonishing differences that are emerging between ourselves mm-hmm. and um, our closest human relatives. So our closest human relatives were uh, Neanderthals and, uh, and another a group that people don't know so well called the Denisovans, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> who lived alongside humans for uh, three or four hundred thousand years. And we can make comparisons between uh, our anatomy and the anatomy of those species of humans, and we can see that our anatomy is more like that of a domesticated animal. In very specific ways, we have short faces and small teeth and uh, smaller brains and reduced differences between males and females. And and this suggests that we have become uh, self-domesticated. We've domesticated ourselves Mm -hmm. to be more peaceful. And and you know what? We can even go to the genes uh, because the genes of domesticated animals are different from the genes of their wild ancestors in ways that are broadly predictable. You can't say any particular gene is going to occur in a domesticated dog compared to a wolf, but you can say that there is a broad uh, sort of swath of genes that tends to change from a wild ancestor down to the domesticated descendant. And the evidence that's been emerging in the last just three or four years Mm -hmm. is that we have those domesticated kinds of genes as a human species, Homo sapiens, mm-hmm. compared to, get this, the genes that are in Neanderthals and Denisovans. So even though they're long dead, the Neanderthals and Denisovans, we can get their genes. Mm-hmm. And we can compare, and we can see that we are the domesticated version. 
Okay, perfect. Um, moving forward, could you uh, kindly explain the difference between reactive and proactive ag aggression and, and, and how this you know, may have helped our violent tendencies to evolve? Well, yes, and um, of course, this is very important. Now, you know, reactive and proactive aggression are basically uh, hot and cold aggression. Uh, they're impulsive or premeditated aggression. So reactive aggression, you know, it means you, you react, uh, is uh, when you lose your temper. Hmm. It's uh, the kind of very emotionally hot aggression uh, that is caused by uh, an insult or by seeing something, you know, absolutely terrible. Uh, your your child is being hurt. Your uh, your wife is being abused. Um, something that makes you just fly off even before you can think about it and get involved in aggression. Perfect. Then there's proactive aggression, which is cool, premeditated, planned aggression, uh, where you take a deliberate strategy to do harm. And uh, you might think that that just sounds like something that only humans do, it's because it's so connected to the brain, connected to our intelligence. But actually, uh, it happens in animals. Uh, both these kinds of aggression happen in animals. And we know from animal studies that they are innervated differently in the brain. And so they are subject to different evolutionary trajectories. And the way in which this helps us to understand humans is that it's the reactive aggression that is greatly suppressed and downregulated in us compared to our close relatives. But the proactive aggression is not. So proactive aggression is the kind that is really predominant in war. You know, most war consists of one side uh, making a deliberate plan, carrying it out uh, to be as, uh, as effective as possible while minimizing the chance of getting hurt yourself. And then, of course, the other side will plan a raid back again. So there's a lot of... Um, surprise attacks that go on in war. And they, these are all through proactive aggression. And we now know that the rate at which proactive aggression leads to deaths in intergroup uh, aggression mm -hmm. is about the same in chimpanzees mm -hmm. as it is in humans. So that suggests that chimpanzees and humans have had a common ancestor in which they had this high propensity for proactive aggression leading to deaths, uh, whereas, as I say, in reactive aggression, we're greatly reduced in our frequency of carrying it out. And how did this explain our violent tendencies being so reduced, our reactive aggression so reduced? Well, proactive aggression is what goes on with capital punishment, with executions. And we're very good at that, and we can get rid of the individuals who are too violent for society's mm. sake, uh, benefit. And so our high tendency for proactive aggression has greatly reduced our tendency for reactive aggression, which is now very low. Um, how has your extensive research in you know, primates actually you know, led you to believe that man is a self-domesticated species? Well, uh, I mean, we have this great reduction in reactive aggression, and that is characteristic of domesticated species. Uh, so dogs can be, still go hunting, but they are much less liable to lose their temper, as it were, to react with aggression to uh, an immediate to threatening stimulus 
than a wolf is. And uh, we now see these behavioral, anatomical, and even genetic parallels uh, between uh, humans and domesticated animals mm. when we compare uh, domesticated animals to their ancestors compared to us uh, looking at uh, Neanderthals and Denisovans. Perfect. And lastly, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, is your book demonic males you know you explore how you know male groups rooted are aggressive individuals uh, biologically to what extent is you know violence gender-based yeah um well i think you have to look separately the two types and so with reactive aggression um there is uh, no doubt that uh, there is a much greater propensity for males to undertake risky uh, dangerous violence uh, than females Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look just at, at uh, diaries, for instance, when uh, men and women are just thinking about uh, or reflecting on their day, it turns out that the frequency of aggression that isn't really uh, at all dangerous, just sort of, you know, being mean um, with words, that, that is probably about the same between men and women. But it's as you get into uh, dangerous forms of aggression, like, for instance, using your car as a weapon if somebody cuts in front of you mm-hmm. uh, when you're driving. Um, uh, that, that's where men are, are much more dangerous than women. Mm-hmm. And with, funnily enough, with proactive aggression, we don't really have good data. Um, and you know, obviously, men are the ones who carry out the aggression in war, but um, we don't have a sort of systematic way of thinking about uh, how dangerous men and women are relative to each other in terms of making plans to be aggressive. And, you know, obviously we know that women can be uh, very uh, sort of given to uh, dreaming up plans Mm -hmm. that that, uh, are violent. And so exactly how to compare men and women in that state, I I think we're still still working that out. Of course. And um, what would you then say, um, you know, based on your research, could you definitively say whether man is instinctively peace-loving or violent? Well, yes, I think we can say. And the answer is uh, we are definitely both. Mm. Um, Because, uh, you know, I think we can say uh, that we're peace-loving in the sense that uh, we can uh, live our lives in uh, ordinary society uh, with very low rates of aggression, reflecting the fact that we have a low propensity to react with violence, even to, to mild threats, uh, unlike our primate cousins. Um, and we're also peace-loving in the sense that as long as mm-hmm. uh, we don't have the wrong circumstances, mm. then we are not tempted to use uh, proactive aggression. Mm. You know, ordinarily, most people can go through their lives without planning uh, to be deeply violent. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, we can also say that we have this violent propensity um, because if we feel that our uh, lives or our groups are threatened by some existential threat, mm-hmm. uh, and if we feel that there is a reasonable chance of being violent while getting away with it, mm. so that's you know, the critical circumstance, then there's no doubt that uh, our psychology leads us to carry out violent uh, acts at the expense of, you know, the lives and and, mm-hmm. uh, and happiness of our, our enemies. 
So it's all a matter of circumstance. We are primed to be peaceful as long as the wrong circumstances don't turn up. Absolutely. I couldn't agree, couldn't agree with you there more. Thank you so much once again for taking out your time and giving us your insight into this very important subject, Richard. Thank you so much once again. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Great that you're discussing it. Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. So these, uh, this was just uh, the two, uh, just two topics that we spoke about uh, during the month of April. We spoke about uh, the month of Ramadan, fasting, uh, and also uh, cruel and uh, and uh, uh, being uh, being nice as well. What is the human nature? Being naturally nice or being naturally cruel as well. So uh, join us after the break, where we will where we will uh, continue. Uh, our, you know, our uh, the, the topics that we spoke about, we spoke about different things such as hunger and food insecurity, something which is uh, quite uh, quite prevalent uh, as well. We spoke about uh, different things such as uh, forgiveness as well, as it was the, the month of Ramadan as well, and we the, the one of the ten uh, days which are dedicated to forgiveness. Also, we spoke about the the Holy Quran. And of course, the link with it to the month of Ramadan as well. So we spoke about uh, various different things. Join us uh, after the break where we will continue this as well. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, another thing that we spoke about uh, in the month of April was hunger and food insecurity. Allah the Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran in chapter 2, verse 156, And we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits, but give glad tidings to the patient. Let's listen to uh, another audio clip. Uh, we were fortunate enough to interview Alexandra uh, Pereira. Uh, let's listen to uh, what she had to say. Alexandra of Rutishauser Pereira. Alexandra is uh, Head of Nutrition and Action Against Hunger. Alexandra, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for being here with us today. Alexandra, um, could you tell our listeners what your charity is doing to um, eliminate food hunger? Yeah, thanks, and, and thanks for welcoming us. So, for for those who don't know us at Action Against Hunger, we work now in more than 50 countries. And to eliminate hunger, we need to work at different levels. So first, we have situations of emergencies, of course, um, such as right now, the situation in the, in the Ukraine, where we have to provide direct assistance to save lives. That's the main aim. We provide food, we provide treatment for malnutrition, medicines, shelter, um, water and sanitation or, or mental health services in the immediate crisis. 
And then we work also on more stable contexts. Um, Pakistan could be a, a good example where we continue saving lives. We, we continue providing health services and nutrition services. But what is also really important is that we prevent more people from getting malnourished by giving them a better access to water and sanitation, a better uh, source of income, and access to, to health services. And some concrete examples that I could give you from our program would be that, uh, for example, in Central Africa, we've been retraining men and women to become beekeepers. So um, that provides them a sustainable source of income and honey uh, at the same time. Um, in Kenya, we provided solar panel water pumps, which reduced the water collection time from four hours to 15 minutes for the communities. And then um, Pakistan, once again, uh, where we've been providing goats and poultry to women who are pregnant or breastfeeding, that because then it, may, it ensures that they receive a healthy, high-protein diet at a, at a very low cost. So mm. that's some examples of the things we do to reduce hunger. Can I, can I ask, um, in terms of, I mean, we, in, our, in our first hour, we discussed um, Yemen um, and, and the situation in Yemen. Uh, and, and like Yemen, there are other countries, uh, for example, Sudan and uh, Afghanistan, for example, most recently, which is going through an extreme crisis as well with yeah. uh, the the hunger crisis, the lack of food insecurities, the lack of money to to buy things. Really, um, is your organisation, the charity, doing anything to help these countries? Yes, absolutely. And we've we've been there for a long time. Um, and I mean, in Afghanistan, we've been there for over thirty years wow. now, uh, almost. Um, which means that as an expert in nutrition there, we are now um, the, the organization coordinating the, the nutrition activities with the, uh, with, um, with, with um, the UN to make sure that, um, that, that um, we, we are uh, providing services in the right way. Uh, Yemen, we, we have been there from the start of the crisis. And when we've been there for so long, then the, the two levels that are was giving you our, our interlink. We work on providing direct services uh, to save lives, but um, after a while, it's also really important that we help rebuilding, particularly reinforcing health systems uh, and, and making sure that people are, are able to resist the shock that keeps coming uh, at them. Um, and that's only possible when, when you've been in the country for, for quite a while. But yes, we are very present in those um, countries. Mm. Yeah, good afternoon, Alexander. Um, in 2020, up to 811 million people uh, globally were undernourished. Uh, that's an approximate rise of 161 million from the previous year. Now, with that in mind, what impact has... Uh, the pandemic of COVID-19 had on the levels of hunger and food insecurity globally. And uh, you know, what steps have, uh, you know, your, have you and your charity uh, taken in this regard? Yes, you've, you've been giving really, really good numbers. And a lot of them were due to uh, the pandemic, but it's also a, a combination of the economic depression, the climate crisis, unfortunately, and, and the increase in, in conflict. But in regards to the pandemic, what all uh, worldwide programs have been relating to us is that, of course, the impact 
differently, different region, they impact the urban environment differently than the rural environment. But they've been affecting all of them in, 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 in some ways. And you, of course, have the issue of the direct impact on um, health services when, when you have health workers that are sick, when you have um, a lot of patients uh, with, with COVID uh, and, and the fact that the health systems that are already fragile are not able to cope to anybody arriving with, with, uh, with another uh, sickness or another problem such as malnutrition for children. Um, mm -hmm. Also the fact that people are, were afraid to go to health facilities, so not necessarily bringing their children when, uh, when they were sick. So there were a lot of direct um, consequences like that, also parents dying uh, or being sick, not being able to, to take care of their children. And then you have the indirect uh, causes that, that we've seen uh, e even here in the UK on, on um, livelihood. Uh, when there is a lockdown, people are not necessarily able to have the regular source of income that they have or they lose their jobs. Um, it has a lot of effect on mental health of people. Um, and also something that we, we maybe don't talk enough about is that um, because it affected so many countries, um, it had a big effect on remittances. So countries from Ye like Yemen, for example, that you were talking about before, a lot of families rely from um, their families being abroad, sending them money, and, and, and they can survive through that. But if those people are also suffering from the pandemic and are not able to send the same remittances, then they, they would suffer. So what we've been doing in regard to that, again, working at different levels. So first, we've been directly helping Ministry of Health with the epidemic, helping to contain the spread with, uh, with, with the hygiene measures that were needed, also facilitating uh, vaccination, and, and we are still doing that. And then, um, of course, there was no way that we would stop our programs. That there was no way that we would stop treating malnutrition uh, and saving lives. So we had to adapt. Um, and that when, from, for example, providing mobile phone counseling uh, in, in, our con in our programs in India for women who are breastfeeding uh, and, and needing help, or um, teaching more parents on how to recognize malnutrition with a simple band that they can use on the arm of their children because we couldn't go door to door to mm -hmm. uh, find those cases anymore. Um, and, and finally, uh, helping the communities to be more resilient, uh, grow their own food, uh, reinforce the health system, improving water infrastructures so that people can uh, be stronger to, uh, to, 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 to resist to this type of um, emergency. Mm. So, uh, you know, you were talking about being more resistant and, you know, in these uh, third world countries and I suppose whether they be conflict-torn um, or war-torn countries, what other programs uh, have your cha you and your charity been doing to um, support communities, you know, to grow their own food or to be more self-sufficient? Yeah, so we are, we are doing it in many countries. So the examples I was giving at the, at the beginning as well with the beekeeping uh, is, 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 is an example of the type of things we do. Um, Madagascar and, and Somalia right now are two countries which are extremely affected by drought. 
Um, so we help in this case um, the communities to grow special crops that can reduce, uh, that can resist drought, for example. Um, or we provide veterinary, veterinary services for their livestock so that um, their, their livestock can, uh, can, uh, can also be um, healthier resisting to the shock. So basically, we are trying to understand every time the way the communities are living so that we adapt the program to help them uh, recover from, uh, from the shock that, uh, that they feel and preventing them from um, having consequences when another shock um, is, is hitting them. Mm, so they're better insulated and it's, it's more... So you give them a template uh, so that they can work with it. So that, like you say, in the future, if there's a, whether it be a, a climatic change or uh, a political change, they are better able and they have, I suppose, um, the tools at their own dispense uh, uh, to, to, to move forward. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the, the thing is, the, the stamp, I, I'm not sure I, I, I like the term template, we really serve understand them what they need what do they want to continue doing to raise money and to have as a source of income and then we adapt the the program based on what they want to uh, what they want to do so if what they want to do is raising livestock we will work with them on that uh, mm-hmm. and if they want to grow a specific type of crop we will continue helping them to grow this specific type of crop while we will be also advising them to diversify and grow all their crops so that they have a more diversified diet, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is the impact of your work on people living uh, with poverty uh, as food uh, insecurity? I mean, especially in the developing countries. Yeah, so... I could be giving you a lot of numbers uh, uh, on on that. Uh, when we we reaching we, we reached 25 yeah. millions last year. Um, we also assess the the, the, the countries. Um, we we have a, a set of priority countries where we look at the 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 level of malnutrition and child mortality. And last year we saw that in in nine countries the the rate of malnutrition decreased. Uh, in seven of the countries, we reduce child mortality. But what I, I think I would prefer to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. And I would like to tell you about the story of uh, Fatima. She was living in a camp for displaced people in Mogadishu. And Fatima married young. She married when she was 16 and became pregnant. Um, and things were really difficult at home. Uh, her husband was um, was beating her. And after her daughter Halima was born, she became pregnant again and, and, and kept having difficulties at home. The, the abuse amplified and also her husband was not supporting her either for medical bills or, or for the expenses. Um, so her husband was asking her to leave without the children, which, which she refused. She was still was feeding uh, the youngest one. So her husband left and took Halima, the oldest daughter. And after several weeks, the husband came back and Halima has 
at what we call severe acute malnutrition. It's the most life-threatening form of hunger. So her hands and her feet were swollen. She had inflamed patches on her skin, uh, her hair lost colors. And Fatuma heard about a nearby Action Against Hunger medical center that could help her daughter. So she was admitted there the next day. And it took the team six weeks to treat Alima, but she got cured from acute malnutrition, which is uh, the main success stories of uh, many of the, the children that we, that we treat. Um, and three months later, her husband wanted to take Halima back. But um, Halima had the help of one of her uncles, and Halima also had the help of the team of Action Against Hunger there, who gave her the pictures of Halima before and after the treatment. And Fatuma took those pictures to court, and she was granted full custody of her child, uh, something that is not always easy in Somalia. And so, while as a public health expert, I love seeing numbers of our impact, it's really those type of stories of what we can achieve that make me thrive. Yeah, it's much more emotive. Well, um, Alexandra, thank you very much for, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much again. Uh, and we hope you have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, one of the other things that we spoke about during uh, during April in, in April was uh, different aspects of the month of Ramadan as well. As Ramadan is uh, is for thirty days, sometimes twenty, sometimes twenty nine days, uh, but mostly thirty days. The month of Ramadan is actually split into ten different, uh, split into three, and those three are ten days each. One of those 10 days are of forgiveness. So we dedicated, um, we dedicated a, whole, you know, a whole segment in regards to forgiveness and the month of Ramadan uh, as well. Let's listen to Imam Ibrahim Noonan, who is a missionary, uh, actually missionary in charge uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Ireland. Um, and uh, let's listen to what, uh, what he had to say in regards to this topic. Imam Ibrahim Noonan, who is a missionary missionary in charge of the Ahmadi Muslim community serving in Ireland. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the show. Wa alaikum salam, thank you for having me. Zakallah, thank you so much for, for being with us. Um, to begin with, in, in Christian in Christian doctrine, believers um, will not need to repent as their sins have already sort of, you know, been been paid or forgiven by or by Jesus. Um does this show a, a Christian concept of God as being more forgiving then? Um, no. Uh, in my personal opinion, it shows or it suggests the concept of the divine that they have or the concept of, of a God that they have is limited. Hmm. Because basically the atonement, what Christians believe today, hmm. Uh, not necessarily what Jesus taught, I should point that out, but what Christians believe today yeah. um, is that unless you accept that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you accept that, you, you believe he took upon him the curse of the whole of sins of humanity, you are not forgiven. You must accept this first. And then once you've accepted that, 
then you're forgiven. And therefore, you have just now narrowed the path of salvation to this one uh, particular doctrine. And if you're outside that, or anyone outside that, according to, according to in fact, all Christians, mm. you're, you're, you're condemned to internal health. Mm. So it's a very limited, in my opinion, <laughs> they have limited God's, uh, you know, his his graciousness, his mercifulness, his forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Now, talking about forgiveness then, and talking about, you know, getting rid of our sins, how can we then, how can we truly get rid of our sins? Well, I think um, your last guest also alluded to this and explained this very well as well. But for me, um you know, and particularly when you read the Holy Quran, uh, I mean, you can go through the Bible as well, the Old Testament, the New Testament. You will find whatever Jesus taught, whatever the other prophets taught, are very similar in what all, uh, Almighty Allah, Almighty God, in, uh, from the Islamic perspective, hmm. also tells us is first and foremost, you must obey the commandments of God. You must accept the prophets in which He has given to yeah. you, and then. If you have wronged your soul, if you have wronged yourself, if you have commit, committed some form of sin, um, then you seek forgiveness. And mm. one of the conditions is, or you can say three of the conditions would be, in my opinion, or at least I should say from the Quranic perspective, is first, of, first believe in the divine, believe in Allah, believe in God, to obey his commandments, accept and obey the prophet he has given to you, in the case of Islam, it's Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and repent. Mm. And once you seek forgiveness and uh, repent, then yes, you are in a very good position for your sins to be uh, forgiven. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, when we go past or when we actually try try our best and seek forgiveness from God Almighty as well, as you know, as you, as you right, right, quite rightly said that, you know, firstly, of course, um, following his uh, his commandments, God Almighty's commandments. When we get past this stage, how can we actually know if our sins have been forgiven or not? Is there some sort of surety that we can that we that we achieve or we receive? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there is. There has been so many examples throughout the history of Islam, from the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace be upon him, where he has himself told his companions, how Almighty Allah subhanahu wa taala has forgiven them or have or has guaranteed that they will be entering into heaven. And there are many cases throughout the history of Islam where saintly, pious Muslim divines and even ordinary people who have been given some indication that their sins have been forgiven. And if mm. if you may uh, forgive me for saying this in this way, <laughs> mm. um, I myself uh, just because I, I, it's the only example I can give right now, uh, from a personal point of view, mm. a number of years ago, uh, and I say this in great humbleness, a number of years ago, in the month of Ramadan, I, I really prayed through the whole night, every single night. The, you know, you could say in a way, demanding in a, in a loving way to God Almighty, begging Him to please forgive me, whatever. I'm a weak human being. I'm I, I can't be forgiven unless you forgive me. And I remember that particular month of Ramadan where I had the blessings of, in a dream, seeing Hazrat Umar, mm. 
Mm-hmm. And in that particular dream, there was five people weeping, including myself, who mm-hmm. were weeping to the point of, 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 you know, as if your heart was about to stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hazrat Umar hugged me and said to me, Allah has forgiven your sins. And I, I believe at that time, uh, according to these traditions of Islam, when you see someone who has passed on and they tell you something, it's true. Mm. So that's just my own personal experience. So I believe that that particular month, many years ago, I was blessed with being reassured that Allah had forgiven me whatever his weaknesses he saw within me. So you, you can know and you do know there are people who will be shown some form of sign or there is definitely a, a way in which people will know that somehow their prayer has been accepted. When I use mm. the word prayer being accepted, meaning that Allah has shown his mercy and he has shown some indication that he has accepted your prayer. Very, very wonderful. Um, talking about uh, talking about Toba and you know, so, uh, repentance as well and its role with forgiveness, can we be, can we be forgiven without Toba, without repentance? Not at all. Um, hmm. Not at all. I mean, you, 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 in, in, in reality, in the modern world, in today's world, or any world of the past, if you wrong someone and you don't seek their forgiveness or apologize to them or try to make up with them, they're not going to forgive you. If you until you say, I'm sorry, until you repent and say, I made a mistake, it's impossible. So how do we expect that Almighty Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will forgive us if we don't seek repentance, mm. if we don't repent, if we don't at least bow our head in in obedience to Him and say we were wrong, we wronged our souls, we recognize we are we were wrong, we made a mistake, and I'm repenting uh, for my weaknesses. Um, without that, um, in, in fact, it is it is a condition. Uh, throughout the Holy Quran, you you will see many verses where this is mentioned about astaghfar, hmm. that you must you must do toba, you 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 must um, ask for forgiveness, and and Allah mentions throughout the Holy Quran. In fact, the Holy Quran is very unique in this over the Bible, and I'm not saying that because I'm a Muslim now, Alhamdulillah, hmm. but 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 it is throughout the whole Quran. If you read it, one of the one of the most remarkable things about the Holy Quran is is how forgiving Almighty Allah is and how he, he's, he's always wanting to forgive you and he's always wanting you to ask for forgiveness. So without Tawbah, that's the first step. And one of the first steps you have to do to be forgiven without that, if you are arrogant and rude and think that, well, I don't need to repent for, God, for, for, for Almighty God to forgive me, then you, you haven't understood this thing. So no, without without toba, without repentance, uh, no, I, I believe that you cannot be forgiven. I mean, of course, Allah knows best, but but um, I, from my own understanding of the Quran over the years and and, and listen to the blessed, um, uh, you know, the blessed khutbahs of Hazrat Khalifa Tulmisi, the fifth, may Allah be his helper, and and for the books of Hazrat Musa and indeed for the books of Hazrat Prophet Muhammad Sallam, this has been clear that you really need to repent, and including. Jesus peace upon him and every other prophet before that they repeatedly mentioned that you need to repent you need to seek forgiveness from Almighty God for your prayers to be uh, forgiven. Jazakallah Ibrahim sir just uh, one question uh, from me it's just that 
um, you know, in Surat An-Nasr, where it is said that when you see people accepting Islam in large numbers, and you then the verse says, And that is obviously addressed to the Holy Prophet. Uh, may yeah. peace and blessings yeah. be upon him. Um, yeah. So why why he was told to to do istighfar? You know, we have to understand by the, you know by the grace of Almighty Allah, the Holy Prophet wasn't a person who sinned, and, and that's another thing. You have to understand what the sin means as well. I mean, sin is obviously the, the general understanding is sin is disobeying the commandments of Allah, hmm. uh, the, the, disobeying the commandments of God. The Prophet never disobeyed. Disobeyed. I think we, as human beings, sometimes we have weaknesses, we have emotions. And I think, in my own personal opinion, that uh, why the Holy Prophet was being addressed in this was, was for our lesson, was hmm. for us to see that this most perfect man, even in his perfectness, he still sought forgiveness. He still repented. He still did Toba, not because he needed to, because he was so perfect in his humbleness, in his gratitude, in uh, towards uh, his Creator. So this is my understanding of why the the Prophet would have been told to do this. I mean, this is an often question put by our Christian brethren that why your prophet had to pray all the time, and why did he seek forgiveness sometimes? This was his humility, um, and nothing more than that. Otherwise, he was sinless. He, he was not a prophet who committed sins. He, he was perfect in his, in, his, uh, in his personality, in his behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Imam, uh, Imam Ibrahim Nunasab, a uh, missionary in charge uh, of, uh, of uh, Ireland, Ahmadiyya Muslim community over there. Zafkullah, thank you so much for, for being with us, taking time out and speaking to us as well. Uh, hopefully, you have benefited from that. Zafkullah, thank, thank you for having me. Zafkullah, as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa peace and blessings of Allah be upon you as well. Now we're draw- we're coming towards uh, a, to- towards the latter part of the show, the the end part of the show. Um, there is an audio clip, uh, a very short audio clip that we would like to uh, play for you as well. Um, somebody asks His Holiness, "Are all sins forgiven?" Uh, His Holiness, the 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 fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, or the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, Hazrat Mizan Masrur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, gave a very beautiful answer to that. Let's listen to it. My question is, many people sin but then pray to be forgiven. Therefore, are all sins forgiven? You see, Allah knows better. We cannot decide that that person will be forgiven or not. Even Allah Ta'ala has said that I am the, the Malik and Allah, the God. I know whom I'm going to forgive and whom I will not. You see, there was a story, there was a person who was a very pious person. He asked another person who was not that pious that uh, you, since you are not offering five daily prayers and you are committing bad things, you will be sent to hell. The person who was not very much pious said that, who are you to say that I will be sent to hell? It is Allah who will decide. 
but the person who thought himself to be very pious and uh, or in another way he should say that he was quite arrogant in this regard said no it is definite it is quite certain that you will be sent to hell it's it so happened that uh, coincidentally both of them died at the same time right when the soul reached to allah taala allah taala asked the person who was uh, apparently very pious person that who are you to decide that who is going to hell and going to who is going to heaven it is me who has to decide i am i am the god all powerful and omnipotent allah right then uh, you you said to this person that he will go to hell and you you thought yourself to be very pious person and you will go to heaven so now now decision is in my hand so i decide that this person whom you were thinking will go to hell i am sending him to heaven and you because of your arrogance and uh, thinking that you have done so many good things you will go to heaven i am sending you to hell so now it is allah taala who decides who is going to heaven and who is going to hell but our duty is that we should try to follow the commandments of allah taala don't at the same time try allah taala that he will whatever we do we shall be forgiven and we shall go to heaven allah taala says that these are my commandments these are my injunctions this is my teaching this has been given in the holy quran if you are a true believer true muslim then to follow my commandments and injunctions right and then if you do it then it is my promise that i will send you to heaven being a human being you might commit some small sins that those small things will also be forgiven by allah taala okay so that was uh, an audio clip of uh, of imam ibrahim nunan who is a missionary in charge uh, of the ahmadiyya muslim community in uh, in ireland and also we listened to another audio clip over here just now uh, of his holiness the worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community the fifth caliph of the promised messiah upon whom be peace hazrat mirza uh, hazrat mirza masrur ahmad may allah be his helper and uh, as we continuing this topic as well we also spoke to imam ahmed khurshi who is also a, a missionary of the ahmadiyya muslim community serving in uh, in manchester and uh, we spoke about uh, this particular topic which is uh, the month of ramadan and uh, and forgiveness uh, as well so let's listen to let's listen to what he had to say on this uh, on this subject matter Imam uh, Ahmad Khushid from Manchester. Muhammad Ahmad Khushid is uh, on the line. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah for having me. Jazakallah for joining us today. Imam Khushid, a, a good question that you know I've I've been asked a few times as well. I'm sure you've been asked this question as well by people from the community, well, like Muslims as well as non-Muslims alike. We are speaking about God's mercy today. And a lot of religions do talk about the mercy uh and 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 the and the compassion of god almighty but if god is so merciful then why does he punish us why do we see certain uh, disasters around the world why does he punish us if we go wrong 
Yeah, um, I think to understand this question in, in some detail is that we should not confuse the two. Right? Uh, hmm. The fact that he's merciful is one of his greatest attributes. For example, the Quran tells us that Rahmati wasiat that my mercy, the mercy of God Almighty, encompasses everything. Everything comes beneath that mercy. Hmm. Right? Then he says that those who have made excesses against themselves, they've sinned their entire life. He is referring to them that do not despair of the mercy of God. All right. So when you have these forms of verses of the mm. Quran, which tell us that the mercy of God Almighty is unlimited, it's for everyone. Yeah. So it really begs the question: Then what is the point of punishing people? Right. So that's not really the objective. People are looking at at, at the entire picture all wrong. Yeah? Mm. If the mercy is the key point that we need to focus on, then the punishment is for those who have excess; they have exceeded all bounds of evil deeds. It's not just a small mistake here or there. They've exceeded all of the the boundaries set by God Almighty. Right? And then once they've exceeded, then for the reformation of that individual, just like in any institution or anywhere else for, for that matter, there, there's a form of reformation for, for an individual to make him a a, a, a suitable member of society. Hmm. Right? No, somebody who's... who's beneficial for society, right? So in the same way, it's not to punish, it's to reform. Okay. Right? So the first thing we need to remember is the mercy has unlimited benefits. It's for everyone. But people who keep pushing the boundaries over and over again, keep testing God Almighty, then not for their punishment, but for the reformation, God Almighty then um, puts them through a process of reformation. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's always easier to blame God then, isn't it? It is, it is. And the, the fact is that in the end, as Muslims, as Ahmadi Muslims, we believe that after this form of reformation, everybody will go to paradise in the end. Hmm. So this merciful God Almighty, He stays with us no matter what we do in life. He reforms us or He puts us straight into heaven, but in, eventually everybody ends up in heaven anyway. Hmm. So that shows the mercy of God Almighty. Wonderful. Imam Khushid, it is said that we we mentioned this hadith and this narration, and, and I think uh, Muslims hear it all, all the time as well. That when the month of Ramadan starts, uh, you, you know, the gates of heaven or the gates of, of of paradise are open, and Satan is is shackled. That Satan being shackled during the month of Ramadan does that mean that we cannot commit bad deeds during this month? At yeah. All? Um, look, Islam's. I mean, certain things are practical, like prayer and fasting, things like that. Certain things are metaphorical hmm. in nature. So Satan being shackled does not mean that he's physically put behind bars and is shackled. What it means is that God Almighty provides us with so many opportunities to benefit from the month of Ramadan, that if somebody truly benefits from the month of Ramadan, God, there's a hadith, there's a tradition of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that he will be entered into paradise. Yeah. Then... In, this, in a similar narration, it says that the doors of paradise are open. Does that mean that everyone who goes around committing sins and, you know, he, he does wrong to yeah. other people, and, you know, he does everything that is not permissible in society, do we expect him to go to paradise? So the question is really that if Satan is shackled, it means that God Almighty provides every opportunity for Muslims to better themselves for a spiritual reformation. For example... Prayer, you will see that people, they're more focused towards prayer in the month of Ramadan. They take more time out to pray to God Almighty. Muslims around the world, they try to finish the Quran 
at least once. Mm. Then you will see that the emphasis laid on charity has been amplified, amplified many times yeah. in the month of Ramadan. For example, the Prophet, peace be upon him, it is mentioned that his charity would gain the intensity of a fierce wind. Hmm. So Muslims are encouraged to sort of, uh, you know, delve into these good habits. Then there is that saying that somebody who, who lies, his fasting will not be acceptable in the eyes of God. Hmm. So a Muslim will think, you know, if I, if I had the habit of lying in the past, in this month I will try to abstain from this habit. Then wh- the, the hadith is that whoever speaks to you harshly, insults you, just tell them that you're fasting. So maybe previously you would answer back in aggression or be angry towards them, but now you're more patient. So all of these good deeds attributed, you know, uh, you can attribute them towards the month of Ramadan to make a Muslim mm. a better individual. Um, Imam Rashid, on on that note, when you said that Muslims, they increase in their in, in their worship, they're trying to finish the Holy Quran, and and this is something that you see all across the world. I mean, even if you open up social media, it's all about Ramadan, it's all about spirituality, it's all about this and that. D- does that mean, some people might think, that d- does Islam promote a faith that fluctuates levels of worship depending on the time of the year? Is that right to assume? And if if not, what, why? Why would? How would you, you know, answer that? I think that's a a wrong opinion that some people have about Muslims. That in the month of Ramadan, uh, they seem to be more active. <laughs> they seem to be more Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> to be more Muslim. There's that term called Ramzani Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> more Muslim in Ramadan. So I mean, in reality, what Islam teaches us is that this is a practical faith yeah. it's a consistent faith right mm. for example what good or what benefit will it be to a muslim who spends considerable time praying fasting giving charity helping the needy if a month later he's not going to be practicing them anymore mm. that in in my uh, understanding that will be of no benefit to himself or to anybody else for that matter mm. So what it is, is we believe in, in the theory of more like, you know, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. But for us to get going in that marathon, God Almighty provides the platform of Ramadan. And he says, look, you know, you've got all these opportunities that if you do them correctly, I will find the pathway for you. I will open the pathway to paradise yeah. for you. So once you get the habit, and there's, there's, there's different research saying that, you know, you, you develop a habit after about three weeks, 20 days to about 21 days. So this is actually so uh, interesting that is, Islam promotes this, that mm. in one month, once you develop those good habits, you get a good feeling about them, and you start to benefit spiritually from them in every sense of the, of the meaning, then you don't want to let go. Hmm. Right, then you continue doing them for the, for the rest of your life. So Ramadan is only a sort of, you could say, a reminder. That you can that, do you know, it. You can do it. It's like a push. I mean, like for that marathon example, the analogy mm, that I gave, mm. Allah the Almighty gives you that push, that much that we need to get going again spiritually. Wonderful. And lastly there, coming back to the topic of mercy, how can we use this month to become kinder to those around us and more merciful? And how does this benefit us as well as others and also not just to those that we 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 are friends with not just those that we you know the people that we like actually but also to those that might have hurt us in the past i mean this reminds me of the saying of the promised messiah peace be upon him he mentioned that 
on the other hand, he should also be mindful of the rights of mankind. The entire spiritual beauty of a person is attached to this aspect. Right? So our spiritual beauty is, as the Promised Messiah alluded to, is, is attached to us fulfilling the rights of mankind. Right? A Muslim, a true Muslim, is one who provides peace of mind to people around him, regardless of who they are. Hmm. Right? So if we believe in the attributes of God Almighty, that he is merciful, he is forgiving, you know, he, so why, if you want to understand those attributes of God Almighty, we should try to replicate them. Yeah. Right? So, for example, if God is merciful, why don't we show mercy to the creation of God Almighty? Not just human beings, but even to animals. Right? So hmm. once we start to replicate those attributes, you will, one will see, I, I remember seeing, uh, listening to, the, um, to, to a question answered by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He mentioned that prayers are truly accepted. Uh, for example, if we pray for mercy, then if somebody who is merciful in his own life towards others, his prayer for mercy will be accepted more than others. Hmm. Right? So somebody who shows these great attributes towards other people around him, not only is he opening his own channel towards God Almighty to gain his mercy, but he's also providing that ease, that, that relaxation that to, towards people that, look, this individual is truly merciful. He's always forgiving. You know, he, he doesn't take things to heart. Hmm. And it's all about that. Our Prophet, peace be upon him, he was the most merciful. He was the most forgiving. So as Muslims, you know, once we take in these good habits, really somebody, your neighbor, your friend, you can tell, he would be able to tell instantly that there's a change within this Muslim, this individual, right? Hmm. So that's the whole purpose of Ramadan as well. Wonderful. Imam Ahmed Rashid, Imam of the Amdiyamsan community currently serving in uh, Manchester. Jazakallah, thank you very much for your time and for, for answering all of these questions in such a wonderful way. Jazakallah once again. Assalamu so that was uh, Imam uh, Imam Ahmed Khurshid, who, who also spoke about uh, forgiveness as well um, and how it's uh, you know so uh, more emulated in, during the month of uh, Ramadan as well. Um, we also spoke about Ramadan and the Holy Quran as well and how they they sort of link uh, link with each other. Also, let's listen to another audio clip of Imam Imamuddin al-Masri. Uh, let's listen to that right now. Imamuddin al-Masri, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, serving in Kababir. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and thank you for hosting me. Thank you so much for, for being with us this uh, this afternoon on this show. And to begin with, why was the Holy Quran revealed in Arabic? What, 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 why is it known as the, it's, you know, it's known by the, as, as the mother of the tongues by the promised Messiah upon whom be peace. But uh, why specifically Arabic? Okay, uh, first of all, we have to know the status of the Holy Quran. Hmm. The Holy Quran is the perfect revelation. You know, Allah has been revealed, has been revealing, sorry, to the prophets before Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to the nations before Islam even, okay, and all of these revelations are from Allah, mm. but most of them, or all of them, let's say, were specifically for uh, specific nations and uh, specific time. So we cannot say that they are the perfect religion. Mm. They were perfect, okay. The Quran, the revelations were uh, perfect. But they were not the perfect revelation. Yeah. So if we are to speak about the perfect revelation, we are here speaking about the Holy Quran. So mm. as a book that has this kind of status, okay, it needed a language 
which can really express the meanings of the words of this book. Mm. Okay, and when we look at Arabic, we cannot compare any other language with it. Okay, even the Promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, in uh, his book Minan al-Rahman, which is a very nice book actually, mm. it's speaking about how the Arabic is the mother of the languages. Okay, mm. he even proves that Arabic is not only a normal uh, language, rather it is a language that was taught to humanity through revelation which means that Allah, the Almighty Himself, taught the people the Arabic language. Mm. Okay, And then from it, the other languages started uh, occurring or started evolving. Mm. So as a, a, a perfect book or the perfect book, it needed the perfect language that was revealed by Allah, the Almighty. So this is the answer uh, in short. Mm. Thank you for that as well. Um, Muslims around the world, they, you know, especially during the month of Ramadan, they they are trying to recite as much of the Holy Quran as as much as possible. Um, you know, try at least maybe once, one full circuit, or maybe twice, or even more than that as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, is it okay to to read it only in Arabic? Because of of course, you know, there are people, there are many Muslims around the world. They don't speak Arabic, and they have to rely on the on the translation. So some people may say. That we will read the translation, but not the Arabic. But is that is that allowed? Is that is that uh, something that you can do? Okay, let me tell you something. First of all, yeah. uh, reading the Holy Quran, like I can't be the, the one to, uh, like, or anyone is not, they cannot be the representative of Allah, yeah. the Almighty, and say that no, you can do this or you can do that. Yeah. The Holy Prophet sallallahu gave a reward even for those who who don't. Uh, read. Sorry, he didn't give the reward. He gave the glad tidings of a reward to those who cannot even read and they hold the book and they start just uh, seeing the picture, the image of the book hmm. without even reading the wordings inside. Okay? Hmm. That is because they have conditions, they have difficulties in reading, they have something. It's The important thing is the intention. Okay? Hmm. But on the other hand, if we are able to read the translation, we are able to to read the meanings, the great meanings of the Holy Quran, then why not? Can you imagine having a big treasure in front of you that is even not, uh, you cannot buy it for the whole fortunes of the world hmm. and you just leave it like this? This is the Holy Quran. The Prophet says, وَمَا الْقُرْآنُ إِلَّا مِثْلُ دُرِّنْ Which means that Quran is nothing but like pearls. pearls yeah. So why should we keep these pearls hidden and read only the Arabic without reading the translation or the meanings of uh, the verses? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, are, are there any examples of the, of the of the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, how he recited the Holy Quran? Because people, you know, people allege, people say that uh, he was illiterate. So how did he read the Holy Quran? Yeah, so the Holy Prophet وسلم, it is mentioned uh, about him that he he was uh, not reading, okay, and uh, he was not writing, he was not among the people who learned how to read and how to write. And uh, it's uh, also narrated about him, uh, وسلم, that in uh, sometimes, even in Ramadan especially, uh, uh, Jibril would uh, come and revise the Quran that was revealed to him 
and the last uh, year even he revised the Quran two times with him. Mm. Okay. In some other narrations, we find that the Holy Prophet وسلم, was telling his uh, companions to read for him. Mm. And when the Quran was being revealed, you know, this is uh, the Holy Quran has been revealed all, all over the 23 years of the mission of the Holy Prophet. Mm. So this is another type of uh, reading the uh, Holy Quran. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of these are forms or ways how he used to read the Holy Quran. Absolutely, absolutely. In chapter 5, verse 4 of the Holy Quran, Allah Dhamati mentions that this day I have perfected your religion for you and completed my favor upon you mm-hmm. and have chosen for you Islam as a religion. Now, what is this this favor that Allah Dhamati has said, this favor that uh, he has spoken of here? Okay. Now, you have to, or we have to go through all the history of prophets before and the knowledge before. You know, the prophets before, when they used to come with al-medin, let's say, or the knowledge of religion, okay, it mm. was suitable for that time, for that nation. If we speak about the first uh, prophet, Adam, alayhi salam, the one mentioned in the Holy Quran, you can find that the sharia is as simple as four things, okay, mm. that you uh, wear clothes, you uh, find, uh, you store your food, you find so if uh, if we talk about religions, you can find that al-medin or the knowledge of religion has been uh, in an evolution since it started. In, so Allah has perfected the knowledge of deen or religion by revealing this uh, Holy Quran. Mm. So I think this is the favor. And as Promised Messiah mentioned in this tafsir in Barahini Ahmadiyya, Okay, he mentioned that uh, it is Al-Medin that has reached the perfection stage. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, thank you for, for, for that as well. And during or for the month of Ramadan or for fasting in the month of Ramadan, the sick and the, the travelers um, and, you know, the, the, the category of, uh, of, you know, of the sick is, is quite a long category as well. And of course, children are in that. Um, pregnant women and of course you know there's a whole list they have been exempt from uh, from fasting in the month of Ramadan but how can how can how can they reap the maximum benefit of Ramadan when when they're not even fasting if we understand the reality of uh, fasting we will understand how to uh, gain benefit or the maximum benefit from Ramadan as you know fasting is not only fasting from food and water and the categories you have mentioned they are only stopped from fasting from stopping food and uh, water or okay mm. but the other things are uh, allowed for them to fast from them for example in ramadan you are to stop lying you are to stop uh, everything that can affect on your spirituality so if you are uh, practicing the other fasting let us call it okay even though you are eating and drinking because of uh, some can condition you are still getting the benefits of Ramadan you can read the Holy Quran you can do tasbih you can listen to the Rusul Quran you can do much more like you can do a lot of things mm. okay and it's not only the fasting from uh, food and water okay mm. and as I told you there are a lot of favors the, that Allah Azza wa Jal gave us with this being 
Hmm. And our deen is not limited to only these kind of practices. So uh, we can get benefit and we can get blessing through a lot, a lot of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Imam Imam Adin al-Misri, thank you so much for, for joining us all the way from Kababir and answering our questions thank very eloquently. And uh, have a lovely day. Jazakumullah. Thank you. You too. So these was just uh, some of the highlights that we that we did, some of the topics that we spoke about during uh, during April in this year, 2022. And uh, this actually draws a conclusion to uh, this uh, to today's show. Join us tomorrow at the same time from 4 to 6 p.m. We will, where we will talk about May. Until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.